Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. Right, let's get started. Okay. Last week we looked at the childishness of adults. This week we discover the maturity of children. Now by that, I don't mean when children act like adults. You know, like that day when all the kids in the little corn town of Gatlin, Nebraska, slaughtered their parents in a coffee shop, for example. Obviously, that is not the sort of maturity, in inverted commas, of children that Jesus is asking us to aspire to. It's something else. So if you remember in our passage, the disciples appeared to be obsessed with success. They ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and his answer is not what they would have expected. And to give his answer... Jesus brings out a visual aid. Now, remember, they they didn't have PowerPoint in those days, so the little passing kid was perfect. And verse 2 says that after all of this talk um, amongst the disciples and Jesus about greatness, Jesus calls a little child and has this child stand among them. Now, before we go any further, I think we should slow down on that pronoun there, which is him. Many English translations of the Bible use the word him here, But the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so actually the original Greek word here is paideon, which sounds a bit of a strange word, but it's a gender-neutral term. And that's important because it means that this could have been a little boy or a little girl or, or whatever. This is actually a good reminder, I think, that many Bible translations were created years ago, and so they tend to assume gender. In the same way as old textbooks always seem to assume that the doctor was, was a man or the lawyer was a man and the secretary was a woman. You know, it's a product of the assumption of maleness. When actually this original word here, paideon, is gender neutral. It's worth bearing in mind that this is sometimes applies to other places in the Bible. Sometimes the Greek is very clear on gender and we know it's definitely a he or a she, but sometimes it's not, even though the English translation suggests it is. And that's a case here. So anyway, it says he in English, but the original word is not tied to he. It could be um, any flavor of child comes over. And I bet you this child may well have been really quite excited to be called over because Jesus is like getting a bit famous at this point. He's got an entourage going. He's got miracles, healings. People were bringing their kids to him to be healed and blessed. And so it might have been pretty exciting for this famous rebellious rabbi to suddenly call you out in front of his followers, particularly when he does it to give you a massive countercultural compliment, as we're about to see. Because in the midst of this big discussion about who would be the greatest, Jesus calls his kid over and says, I'll tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the disciples must have like been spitting out their Red Bull at this point because they'd have been like, what? What did that guy just say? They were probably very shocked at this idea and irritated because, bless them, they had just sacrificed in like three years of their lives for Jesus. They've left so much behind to follow him. They've been there at the long haul by his side, hanging out, learning from him. 
doing his bidding, as it were, their religious performance was second to none. So if anybody was going to be classed as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you'd think Jesus would have said, hey, it's these guys, my boys, my diligent, holy followers. But no, Jesus says this random kid is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is big. This is a big thing that Jesus is saying here. He's challenging what we assume makes somebody holy. We think it's all about religious performance, but Jesus says it's actually all about being like a child. Now, I think it's easy to uh, misunderstand Jesus here. Like, is he emphasizing the innocence of children? Is he basically saying, be like a child because they are kind and gentle and as innocent as doves and never do anything wrong? No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. You see the Hebrew Bible, or, you know, Christians, I guess, would call it the Old Testament, the Bible Jesus read, basically. That was very open about both the innocence of children, but also the fact that they can be rebellious and naughty and even at times require um, discipline. So Jesus knows that kids are not perfect. So he's not raising this kid here as a symbol of purity that we must all model. Instead, in the context of this idea, who's the greatest, He's basically saying God's value system is completely different from ours. Last week, we said that we adults are obsessed with proving our value by achievements, success. And Jesus here says instead, humility and the vulnerability of children is the goal. Because they are yet to be sucked into that corrupt adult value system we talked about last week. Now, there are encouraging things for us here on a personal and pastoral level, but I think there are two massive sociological paradigm shifts that are going on here that we've got to dive into because I find them really fascinating. You see, he's doing something, Jesus, doing something here that is huge on two socio-political levels. And many scholars argue, for example, that these, the, that this moment here um, potentially changed the world as we know it. Now, you might be thinking, huh? Well, let me explain. Firstly, Jesus' whole attitude to children in the Gospels is radically progressive. In the ancient world, there wasn't such a thing as childhood. Kids didn't have rights or inherent value. The point of a child was all in their future. As they grew, kids would add more working hands for families. They would add more defensive power in case of attack. You know, just read Jack Ketchum's terrifying offspring books to see how kids can help a family attack. Um, but children, in other words, could help carry on the family name through successive generations, but their true significance lay not in them being children, but in them becoming future working adults. Think of all the great the great atomic monster movies of the 1950s, you know, with cool like ants and wasps and lizards and moths who were normal size at one point, but then they grow huge and then they become interesting. You know, the great ant movie of the 50s, them, would not have been so scary if the heroes could have just destroyed the ants with a slam down of their Reeboks. My point is that those films hinged on the fact that the insects grew and that's when they became relevant to the story. Kids in the ancient world were like that. The point, I don't mean they turned into giant ants, although that would be cool. But the point of them, I mean, is it, it was when they grew into adults when they truly mattered. Now, I'm not suggesting that parents didn't love their children back then, but today we value children for just being children. Do you know what I mean? But that wasn't the case then. 
Indeed, if kids became a drain on resources in the ancient world, they would routinely be sold into slavery. We see that happen in the Bible itself. Or kids were just left to die of exposure, especially if they were the wrong gender. No prizes for guessing which gender that was. And so we've got to appreciate what a big deal is going on here. Jesus is doing something major. In fact, some have argued that Jesus changed the world at this moment because he gave children status. His teaching on valuing kids has led to a massive cultural shift in, from the ancient world. Now, we've seen the development of countless charities and orphanages and educational institutions for Christians that recognize the inherent dignity of children. And some historians argue that this cultural shift came because of this highly influential man on our culture, Jesus, who elevated the inherent value of children that had nothing to do with what they would become, but was simply based on who they already were as children. There's a Norwegian scholar called Bakke who argues that Jesus has had the biggest impact on child welfare in history because he refused to see them as purely future adults. Bakke wrote um, a study called The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity, and I love the subtitle of it, which is When Children Became People. It, it sounds weird, doesn't it? But we, we can't imagine children not being classed as people. It's just natural to us. We take it for granted. But simply, maybe that is because we have benefited from the philosophy of this moment here, filtering through our culture and through successive generations. Jesus said then that children have great value, which does not rely on performance or achievement or success, and that has trickled down into our culture even today. So yeah, Jesus elevates children here. But at the same time, he does another really interesting parallel cultural revolution. He makes humility and vulnerability a goal and a virtue. You see, again, in the ancient world, humility was not seen as the key to greatness. The most prominent kings, the loftiest leaders, they would parade their power with massive imposing buildings and ornate crowns. So naturally, the disciples, used to this system, thought that, well, Jesus is going to follow the same route to success. They think Jesus the Messiah is coming as the conquering warrior, a mighty king to overthrow the Roman occupation. You know, Jesus has come to chew bubblegum and kick ass and he's all out of bubblegum. But then Jesus throws this massive curveball, which we looked at in the previous chapter, um, where he says, I'm going to demonstrate my greatness by coming as a vulnerable baby, but ultimately I'm going to grow and gr I'm going to basically die on a cross. This great Messiah appears by our standards to be a loser. In other words, what I'm saying is Jesus here elevated not only children, but in a world of outward achievement, like Jesus elevated the very concept of humility itself. We still feel this paradigm shift today, by the way. You know, when someone like, uh, like, a, like a rapper, like Kanye West brings an album out, right? And he says something like, I am the greatest rapper that ever lived. My album is a masterpiece. Like, how do people react to that? They, they tend to groan. They, people don't seem to respond well to arrogance. They, they laugh at it. It might be a great album, but the lack of humility puts many of us off. And when we see the same thing with people on social media, it also annoys us. You know, when people post a, a gold-plated iPhone um, that they've just bought or a diamond-encrusted litter tray for my cat, most people don't see that and think, wow, those people are wonderful human beings. They are the pinnacle of society. Instead, actually, many of us roll our eyes and deride the showiness, the conceit. However, 
when celebrities or royalty come across as humble, we love it. I met the, uh, the late Sid Haig, the actor, over breakfast once. Um, he was star of The, the Devil's Rejects and um, Spider Baby, so many other, other films. And I remember when I was chatting to him, just thinking, man, you are so lovely and so humble. Sitting there in the hotel restaurant, munching on his toast. And we just chatted about the loud party that had been going on in the night before. He was just a nice, normal guy. We were both doing some uh, signing at a horror convention, and his line was obviously, and deservedly, a million times longer than mine. But I remember people coming to me afterwards and saying, man, that Sid Haig is absolutely lovely. He's normal. He's down to earth. And when he died, um, when did he die? It was a few months ago, I think. Uh, there was this massive outpouring of affection and respect for Sid Haig. And compare that with some stereotypical diva celebrity who walks in and thinks they are God's gift and demands rose petals on the floor and won't let fans look them in the eye. The reaction to that is negative, isn't it? Well, we might think that this humility as a good thing has been around forever, but the writer John Ortberg argues that we didn't always value humility in this way. He suggests that actually Jesus gave the idea of humility a certain cultural currency because he modelled it, not only by raising the status of humble children, but by he himself being born into poverty in a stable, dying a criminal's death on a cross. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we have to be poor or crucified to be like Jesus, but what I'm saying is that arrogance over achievement seems to clash with us, but humility seems to resonate with us. And perhaps that's because this guy, Jesus, pushed this radical thinking into the human consciousness with this child. You see, kids are, after all, often very humble when it comes down to it. Oh, yeah, they can say things like, yeah, I'm the greatest at Fortnite or whatever, or I am so, I, I, I can jump over that bridge totally easily. But actually, what I'm saying is children, in reality, have no problem with admitting their limitations. They are happy to say they depend on other people. Have you ever heard a three-year-old twisting its cloth cap and saying, oh, mummy, daddy, all I do is eat your food. I can't pay my own way in this family. I feel like a failure. I think I should get a job and start paying my own way. No, no kids don't say that because they are so comfortable relying on their parents or their carers for help. They are happy to be dependent. But as adults, we see dependency on others as a sign of shocking weakness. We start to say things like, no, I don't accept charity. Or have, you, or have you ever seen this? I've seen this a lot, right? People who bicker in the coffee shop queue because one person wants to pay for the muffins and the other person wants to pay. And it's like, no, I'll pay. No, I'll pay. No, I insist. No, you've got to let me. No, put that money away. And it's two people in this battle to try and be the most noble. When in reality, it's simply a clash between one person who doesn't want to be in the position of the helped. Because we think maturity is to be self-sufficient at all times. But there's a power in humility and vulnerability. We looked at that sort of stuff when we discussed Nehemiah a few, a few services ago. Little kids are willing to accept help from others. They can have a deep sense of trust and reliance on adults. And this is a problem in some ways because this can be horribly exploited. Jesus talks about this in the very next part of this, uh, this verse where he says, woe to anybody who causes these little ones to stumble. So he's making a serious warning against the exploitation 
of children. And the scandal of child abuse in the world is utterly shocking, but it is especially ridiculously bad and totally inappropriate and disgusting that it should happen in the church of all places, even though it has. When its founder, Jesus, so clearly elevates the dignity of children and warns against their exploitation. And because Jesus, you know, like encourages us to value the inherent dignity of children, um, because of that, that's one of the reasons why if you were to become a, a Patreon member here, if you check it out, you, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but through our Patreon program, 10% of every um, income uh, tier, membership tier, goes to the charity Save the Children. Um, that's not supposed to be some sort of clever gimmick or anything. It, it's just simply saying both adults and humans should be honored and valued and protected, but children can be especially vulnerable. And so that's why, you know, anyone who's a member of our congregation and um, gives uh, through the membership tiers of Patreon gets a bunch of stuff, but they also know that 10% of their um, Patreon money is going to save the children. So why does Jesus point to children as the example of greatness in the kingdom of God? Is it because kids are better than adults? No, that's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, we can learn from children. There are things we can emulate from children. For example, in the way they are willing to be dependent on others, like we said. I think he says that he wants us to be relaxed on depending on him, on God. That we start to grasp the significance and security of that. That it doesn't have to depend on how good you are or how great you are. Or even if you've given up three years of your life to go on the trail with Jesus, as cool as that is, it doesn't mean that God loves you more than this random kid here. And indeed, you know, you might not be into God, you know, might not like religion um, and you might not have faith. That's completely fine. But you might think, ah, so I guess if God did, did exist, unlikely, but if he did exist, he, he wouldn't love me. No, he, he would, his love would have no change. It would be equal for anybody, whether you're a, you know, a raging Satanist or you're a disciple of three years following Jesus around. Some of you think you have to earn God's love by performance, but that's not the approach we see with Jesus. But as well as being reliant on others, children have other qualities that I think we could, be, could do well to emulate as adults. For example, children seem more ready to accept other people for who they are. Humans, adults, <laughs> after all, are incredibly prejudiced against one another. It might be an account of race or class or religion hairstyle, sexuality, accent, gender identification, theology, occupation, ability, or disability. Heck, I have seen people prejudging each other just because they happen to listen to vinyl or CDs. You know, the simple fact is we prejudge people all the time in adult world, but little kids actually have an uncanny knack of accepting people no matter how they look, no matter who they are. Can you remember that beautiful moment in Frankenstein, Boris Karloff, when the little girl gladly plays with the monster? Now, granted, she ends up drowned in the river, but it's kind of not the monster's fault, actually. But, but when was the last time you saw a toddler, you know, refuse to play with another person because they said, oh, well, they're a monster, you know? Like, have you seen, have you seen a toddler in a playgroup say, oh, I'm not playing with him. He's a Muslim or, or she's a Buddhist or he's a Wiccan, or a Satanist, or a Christian, or an atheist. Nah, those prejudices between groups, they come later. They get taught. 
It's like when I was a teenager, right? Let me be honest. When I was a teenager, I remember hiding in the back of my mum's car whenever we drove past friends. And I remember the car at the time was a Mitsubishi Colt. And for some reason, I just thought that was such an uncool car. Um, and so, but when I was a toddler, I couldn't care less what car we drove. But as I grew older, I started to be embarrassed by those things. And so it was like, mom, mom, drive, drive. I'm, I'm hiding in the back. Little kids, really little kids, just take things at face value. They accept others how they are. When my youngest child um, sees me in the mornings, he doesn't come in and say, um, brush your hair, dad. You know, or for heaven's sake, be presentable for your progeny. Now that's the, well, my, my older kid doesn't do this either. <laughs> I just singled him out. But, you know, the, my kids don't do that. That's, a, that's the great thing about kids. You don't have to look your best. You know, like babies particularly, they don't, couldn't care less if you've got wrinkles or, or fangs. They, they just accept people how they are. And that is ironically such a mature attitude. And if we followed that from tomorrow, it would revolutionize the world. So is it, is it any wonder that Jesus says, be more like that? Because that's what he's like. You know, he doesn't look at you and see a label. He sees a person of value, just like a children doesn't rate others by label. You know, if, if the world was like that, this, that, that's what the kingdom of God is. You know, you can read this passage and think the bit where it says, um, nobody enters the kingdom of God if you're not like a child. Um, you could think, oh, that means I've got to be like this and then I'll get into heaven. But the kingdom of God is not like a necessarily just a thing that's going to happen when people die. The kingdom of God is something that God wants to usher in now in the Bible. So, um, you know, I think Jesus here is saying, you know, if we don't act like little children, we won't get that, get that taste of kind of like heaven on earth, as it were. Little kids also seem to accept themselves too. For example, you can dress a toddler in a bright orange pair of trousers, a deep yellow top with green shoes and a jet black cap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even like an utter fashion catastrophe. But if they're young enough, they're like, let me get outside. You know, they don't care. Because unlike adults, their sense of status isn't reliant on how they look. In a restaurant, a well-dressed father delicately puts food into his mouth while his kids have beans dripping down their chins like an animal. <laughs> and yet the kid cares not. Why? Because their security and status comes from what? Their looks? No. Their possessions? No. They feel secure because their dad, who loves them, is sat at the table with them. Of course, this won't last, sadly. The older they get, they'll become like us, immature adults, fixated on looks and labels. And it's actually, when you think about it, it is heartbreaking. You see young children, for example, I, I used to go to parent and toddler groups a lot with my kids. And you'd see a young child, let's say, with, with birthmarks or, or, or a deformity of some sort or, or certain body shapes in a preschool. And they are simply unaware that this is an issue. And, and all the other kids just kind of couldn't care less because it's not really an issue. People just get on with it. And it's because they know it. there's no bearing on your inherent worth or value with your color or your, you know, if you've got a birthmark or whatever. But school comes around and things start to change. The mature adult world starts to impose the new system, this adult system, and teaches people to stop accepting yourself. And it is a sad indictment of how shallow and immature grown-ups are. And so Jesus does the opposite and he points to children 
who accept others and accept themselves. And he says, you know what the key to true greatness is? Learn from that. In fact, change to become more like this child. Well, listen, we've, we've talked a lot uh, here tonight. Um, pretty talked a bit longer than normal, perhaps. But as we come to a close, let me just uh, tell you a brief, annoying story. I once read about a man who had served uh, in the church Sunday school for many years. And one Sunday, the pastor and congregation wanted to recognize him for his hard work. So they had him up the front, gave him a little badge. Everyone applauded and he sat down. Wonderful. Great. But the next week, this man... Um, he came to church and he decided to wear his badge again. You know, why not? He was pleased with his achievement. The church had given it to him the week before, so he wore his little badge. But when he arrived at church, the pastor saw it and told this man, take that badge off. And the man was confused. He says, I'm sorry, I don't understand. You gave me the badge. And the man said, no, the badge was for last week. But if you keep wearing it every week, that just shows the sin of pride. And I'm like... Oh, my word. What? I share this little incredibly irritating story to make a point of balance. When we talk about humility and being like a child, it is so easy to go too far in the opposite direction and to act like we should therefore never celebrate our achievements. That's not what I'm saying. The Bible is happy to celebrate the success and the the the. the the um, achievements of, of people like Joseph, Daniel, David are all described as successful in the Bible. So God is not anti-success. Um, humility, therefore, is not about putting yourself down all the time. Because a child also rejoices with passion their achievements. I mean, look, look at how a kid will draw a picture or climb a tree or, you know, climb on top of a climbing frame and say, Daddy, look, how cool is this? And does the dad look at this and say, stop being prideful, <laughs> get down from there? No, the dad who says, you know, who responds to this is like, yes, nice one. Well done you. That's brilliant. And I do think that that is God's attitude to us and our achievements. I think God would be looking at these disciples who had done all these amazing things and given up so much to follow um, Jesus. And, you know, would, would have, I bet you God would have been saying, man, you guys are great. Thank you so much. I'm so, so over the moon with, with, with all that you've done um, for the cause, as it were. But that little kid who rightly celebrates climbing the tree or the climbing frame also knows that without their dad, they won't get home. They won't get fed tonight. They won't have a bed to sleep in. And I think that's the balance. We do celebrate our achievements. And I think in churches, we should celebrate people's achievements more, actually. But we just, at the same time, like children, we do not find our security and value in them alone. When Jesus called that boy or girl or whatever it was, whatever, it was, whatever flavor, when he called that little kid over, he did two world-changing things. He elevated the status of children, which was revolutionary. And thankfully, I think most humans have got on board with that. Most of us, um, and most of our societies, not all sadly, but most, value children for being children. But he also showed that he didn't value people for what they do, but simply because of who they are. They are people. And he asks us to do the same. And that, I think, is the revolutionary idea that we still struggle to accept. So how about we ask God to help us with this so that we might avoid the immaturity of children and rather that we might thrive and achieve great things, whether we're religious or not, with the balanced maturity we learn 
from kids. Okay, well, we're now coming to a time of prayer and reflection so we can kind of ponder and chew over in our hearts, really, uh, what we've just heard. Uh, This is a time for you, whether you're religious or not. You know, if you're not religious, that's fine. You can just simply use this time as a moment of contemplation um, or reflection, perhaps in a busy week. Um, But if you are a person of faith, then this is a good opportunity to to, to pray um, and to connect with, with God. Okay. You may want to close your eyes. You are 10 years old and you're sitting in a field of swaying corn. You lie back and you watch the beautiful clouds rolling softly and silently above you. A breeze is swaying the corn, fluttering your fringe. And on that breeze, you can hear the sound of your fellow children gathering. They're getting ready for something big, something serious. They are sharpening their scythes and knives and axes because today is the day that their God, who is called he who walks behind the rose, has demanded that they wipe out the adults in town. And you hear Malachi, one of the leaders, and he's calling out your name. Malachi is calling your name and he's saying time to come time to get into town and join us and we will push the adults off the throne so that we can take their place in dominance the children of the corn will be the greatest in the kingdom of God they say and as you lie here heart pounding you need to decide do you want to be part of their philosophy They want to kill today because they believe the only way to true contentment is through power and domination. They claim to elevate the status of children, but ask yourself, are they elevating the status of children or are they simply turning the children of Gatlin into mini psychotic adults who believe the only way to thrive and survive is through violence and the subjugation of others? There are two philosophies vying for your attention now. So make a decision. Do you want to be like children? Or do you want to be like the children of the corn? Let's pray. God, thank you. Because when you look at us, you see us as beloved children. And that love that you have for us is not based on what we have done, or what we haven't done. You just love us because you are love. And thank you, Lord, that there was a time in our life when we couldn't care less about what we looked like or what car we were sitting in, when we didn't care what background others were from. But God, we're older now. And yes, while it's good to grow, we've picked up some new philosophies on the way which we don't want to sustain. To help us. Help us to be inspired by this moment. When Jesus said to be great 
is to be like that child. Show us how we might learn to accept others, to accept ourselves. Particularly think of that last part. I get the sense that some of you guys, some of you guys are struggling to accept who you are and you are setting unfair standards for yourself. Know this, you do not have to earn the love of God. He just loves you, like it or not. And also, if you're not into God, you do not have to earn human value. You are just valuable as you are. So God, thank you that you value children for who they are. Thank you that you elevated their status, that you taught us the value of humility. And over the coming days, weeks, and months, may we learn to chill out a bit like kids often do and rejoice in our achievements and not rely on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are going to close our service with a song now, and we are delighted to have some special guests who are going to help the band out. Yep, we just talked about them before, but the prayer time was no coincidence because today we've invited the children's choir from Gatlin, Nebraska, who most of you will know by their stage name, Children of the Corn. Yeah, they've changed their name. It's not corn anymore. It's uh, Children of the Corn because they've chilled out a little bit. So they made a big decision, which will probably become as wonderful news to the adults over in Gatlin. Um, they've decided not to kill anymore. So um, as they sing this song, I wonder if you could sing this children's song with them. Uh, join with them embracing the path of love and peace. And so I hand over to you. Put your hands together, everyone, for Children of the Corn with their rendition of I Have Decided. We have decided to spare the adults. We have decided to let them go. Cause if we killed them, we would be like them. And so to killing we say no. The corn behind us, the corn before us. This is a symbol of choosing life. And though it may sound a little boring, a life is lonely led by knife. We have decided to follow Jesus. Because he thinks that children are great He who walks behind the rose though Had a funky name but he loved it Lord will you help me when I am tempted To put a grown-up's hand into a blender to love folks without exception Which I suppose means also Brenda We have decided to be like children For being children is what we are Lord, let our love be an inspiration and near and far. So if 
you're listening on a computer or if you're humming this song by phone please remember that Jesus loves you and you will never be alone everybody Thank you, children of the corn. That was fun. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.